Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Like it sounds so simple. They had no idea. But now the data speaks. I find this not only refreshing, but but at some level astounding. Nature. Welcome back to the Nature Podcast. This week, integrating human brain organoids into the brains of rats and the exoskeleton boots that learn as you walk. I'm Benjamin Thompson. A few weeks ago on the podcast feed, you might have heard one of our long-read shows, where I read a feature article by Kendall Powell, which looked at efforts from labs around the world to transplant human cells into animal brains to understand more about things like brain development and disease progression. This week in Nature, one of those groups has a new paper out, demonstrating that human neurons transplanted into rats can integrate into the brain and even influence behaviour. Anand Jagatia takes up the story. In 2008, a team of scientists showed that you could take some human skin cells, reprogram them into stem cells, and get them to develop into complex 3D brain tissue, a small mass of brain cells known as a neural organoid. Neural organoids are clumps of cells that are derived in a laboratory dish. They're not miniaturized versions of the entire brain. They are supposed to model aspects of the anatomy or function of the nervous system. This is Sergi Pasca from Stanford University in the US. As Sergi says, a neural organoid isn't a tiny brain. The human brain is immensely complex, made of billions of neurons that form countless connections. But even so, since the 2000s, organoids have become a powerful tool for studying neural development and the evolution of the brain, as well as certain neuropsychiatric conditions. We need models to study these conditions that maintain some of the genetic or genomic context. So models built from stem cells derived from patients are important to start tackling or start asking questions about the biology of these neuropsychiatric conditions. In their efforts to better understand these conditions, researchers like Sergiu have connected multiple brain organoids together into circuits called assembloids. But an organoid in a dish will only develop so far, 
So, if you want to mature it further, you have to transplant it into the brain of another animal, like a rat. This has been done successfully in adult rats, but again, there are obstacles. So there are a number of limitations of transplanting into the adult rat, and of course, one of them is that the rat brain is already、uh, very well formed. So it is much more challenging for the organoid to integrate, just simply because you know the rat brain is, so to speak, less interested to forming new connections. But now, in a paper in Nature this week, Sergio and his colleagues have overcome some of these issues using a novel approach: transplanting human brain organoids into newborn rats. We place the organoids through surgery right into the part of the cortex that responds to whiskers in the rat. And we've discovered that over the next few months, blood vessels will grow within the human graft, and that's how the graft survives. It can grow up to nine, ten times in size, and essentially, in the end, you obtain a unit of human cortex that sits onto you know one side on one hemisphere of the rat and covers roughly about one third of the rat's hemisphere. This unit of human cortex didn't look exactly like it would in a human brain in terms of its structure and cell types, but the neurons in it grew and developed much more than organoids usually do in vitro. And the team showed just how much the human brain neurons could assimilate into the rat cortex. For instance, we discovered that you could record the activity of human neurons inside the rat brain, and if you were to move the whiskers、uh, of the rat, you could actually see. Activity of these neurons、uh, following that stimulation that that tells us that some of these human neurons have connected to the pathway of the rat that responds to whisker stimulation. So these human neurons were able to receive inputs, but were they also able to generate output? That is, could activity in the human brain cells influence the rat's behavior? So to stimulate human neurons, we leverage a. Technology that involves putting inside the human neurons a protein that is sensitive to light. So when you、uh, deliver blue light to these neurons, neurons become electrically active. We train the rats to associate stimulation of human neurons with、uh, delivery of a reward, and we found that indeed, if you do training for a couple of weeks, rats will learn that, and you can stimulate human neurons and trigger. In the rat, reward-seeking behavior. So, in this case, the rat will seek to drink water. That tells us that human neurons are well integrated into the circuitry. But I, I think it speaks more to the potential of this、uh, approach moving forward. Sergi thinks this system could be used to more accurately model disorders affecting the brain, as well as to test drugs for those conditions. And by studying how these organoids mature in vivo, it might one day be possible to replicate that development more realistically for in vitro models. But of course, research like this raises a whole host of ethical questions concerning animal welfare, human donor consent, and the consequences of putting human brain tissue into another species. We've been very carefully monitoring. The animals to make sure that there's like no suffering. For instance, that the animals would not develop any seizures.、Uh, another ethical aspect is that whether we're going to see any augmentation or alterations of the behavior or physiology of the host. 
One question is whether you would expect that the rats will perform much better in certain tasks, uh, right? For instance, in a, in a memory task. Or, um, and we did not find that that was the case. We did not find any changes in the behavior of the rat. In these experiments, the rats with human neurons growing inside them didn't behave any differently to controls. But what would the ethical implications be if they did? If they had better cognitive abilities, would that make them more human? And there are bigger questions around whether organoids can have moral status or even consciousness. These issues will become more pressing as the field develops. But as far as this study goes, Sergio points out that the fraction of human neurons is small, about 1 or 2 million out of 30 million rat brain cells. And there are differences between human and rat cells that Sergio thinks put a limit on how integrated they can become. It takes more than a week for the rat brain to develop, but it takes more than 20 weeks for humans to make all the neurons in the cerebral cortex. Uh, and so by the time human neurons are, are start to form in vivo, the rat brain is already quite advanced. So there's always this disconnect, so to speak, between the two species. And, and I think that poses some natural barriers to how advanced this integration can actually be. Navigating the ethics of all of this will require active conversations between scientists, ethicists and the public to determine how this field should and should not progress. But Sergio adds that we also have to think about the implications of not performing this kind of work. I mean, the biology of the human brain is still a mystery to a large extent and so is the biology of neuropsychiatric disorders. And it's becoming clear that moving forward, we're going to need human models to also tackle this disease. And, and certainly the more human the models are, the more concerned we are about, you know, ethical aspects that surround this uh, work. But together, I, I think we have, you know, moral imperative to, to support and to study these disorders that are causing so much suffering. That was Sergio Pasca from Stanford University in the US. Look out for a link to his paper and an associated News and Views article in the show notes. Coming up, we'll be hearing about some exoskeleton boots that could help people walk more efficiently. Now, though, with a slightly different feel to usual, it's time for the research highlights. Read this week by Noah Baker. Ever wondered what gives jazz its unique sound? Nature. An experiment. That groovy, foot-tapping, head-bobbing je ne sais quoi. Well, there's a name for it. Swing. And it's all about timing. Subtle deviations from the beat to create a mood. We could go to an asteroid. And now a team of researchers are trying to quantify just how much musicians need to deviate for that thing to become swing. The team digitally manipulated four jazz recordings, shifting the piano soloist's timing with respect to the rhythm section. In some versions, there was a delay of 30 milliseconds in a selection of the soloist's beats. In other versions, all of their beats were delayed. The team then asked a group of jazz musicians to listen to both versions and asked them, did it swing? By a significant margin, participants rated the versions where only some of the beats deviated to have more swing. They reported these having a pleasant friction between the performers, although they couldn't pinpoint the nature of the difference. You can read more in Communications Physics. China is the world's largest producer of cement, steel and other building materials, the production of which emits huge amounts of carbon dioxide. 
But a new analysis is suggesting that powering these heavy industries with hydrogen could be a cost-effective way to reduce China's carbon emissions and its contribution to climate change. China aims to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2060, but decreasing carbon output in heavy industry is challenging. Clean hydrogen, however, provides an opportunity. This is hydrogen that's created using renewable energy or decarbonized fossil fuels, and it yields only water when it's burned. So a team of researchers in the US has modelled how clean hydrogen could be used in China and its cost-effectiveness. And they got some interesting results. For example, they found that by 2060, clean hydrogen could supply 29% of the energy demand for steelmaking. The analysis also showed that by turning to hydrogen, China could avoid spending nearly $2 trillion between 2020 and 2060 on other clean energy solutions. What's more, the study also indicated that clean hydrogen could help other countries shrink their carbon footprints from heavy industry. Read more in Nature Energy. Next up, reporter Dan Fox has been investigating a new exoskeleton. Exoskeletons are devices designed to augment and enhance mobility, and they are fast becoming a reality, thanks to an explosion in research in recent years. An exoskeleton is is really beneficial because it allows us to improve certain aspects of our mobility. That's Patrick Slade from Stanford University. For example, if we want to walk with less effort or walk more quickly or overcome uh, perhaps mobility disorder, which limits our movements. But now... Patrick and his team have created a new exoskeleton, which they hope will overcome one particular challenge. It's actually quite difficult to make walking easier or to reduce knee pain or to do these things that we care about. Because when we walk around every day, we walk in short bouts of walking, we change speeds. We're not walking at a, on a treadmill at a fixed speed like we do in the lab. Patrick's new exoskeleton is smart, able to learn and adapt as you walk. So what we've built is an ankle exoskeleton. So this is with a motorized unit, sort of like a motorized boot, and it applies assistance as you're walking. So as you walk, it can apply assistance with push off, and this can both make walking easier, so require less effort, and increase walking speed. Exoskeletons like this have been created before, but what sets this one apart is its ability to adapt. You see, to provide the most benefit, exoskeletons need to be carefully personalized to each user. In the past, we've done this in the lab using a big machine which measures your breathing, your oxygen, and your carbon dioxide to understand your energy expenditure. And it's this huge lab-based equipment and it takes hours to run these experiments. So it's not really feasible uh, to do on devices that you might purchase and wear. And so one really cool part of this project is we figured out how to actually personalize assistance for each person as they're walking in everyday life. Now, Patrick's device doesn't change its shape or mould to the user's leg, but it does specifically tailor how it provides assistance to suit every user. And importantly, it does this on the fly, as it's being used. No big lab calibration or bulky equipment required. Instead, when a user first puts on the device, the exoskeleton immediately starts to monitor the way they move. So as they're walking in short bouts, starting, stopping, and also changing speed, the device is able to collect data based on how they're moving and figure out what's the best way to assist each person. There are various ways that the exoskeleton can tweak its support, from the timing of a boost to a step, to the torque or angle of the assistance. 
But to work out which intervention may be most helpful, it runs a model, trained on lab data, which predicts metabolic benefits. This then allows the exoskeleton to try different forms of assistance, ranking and comparing until it's optimized for the best results. And this doubles the benefits compared to a generic um, non-personalized controller. Because the system is designed to work for any user without extra programming, Patrick and his team wanted to really put it through its paces. So they sent subjects out onto their university campus wearing the exoskeleton and prompted them to walk in a variety of different ways. Walk as if you're walking across the street. These are some of the prompts from the experiment. Walk as if you're walking home after a really bad day. They found that with this real-world optimization, participants walked around 9% faster and used 17% less energy while wearing the exoskeleton boots compared to normal shoes. Patrick says this optimization technique could have an impact across robotics. The really exciting science takeaway is that we've developed a method for uh, robots to optimize as humans wear them during everyday life. And so this can... This idea and these approaches can be broadly applied to many different kinds of robotic devices beyond just exoskeletons, um, where you have a human and a robot working together. And so this could be an exciting uh, chance to see developments in, for example, human-robot worker collaboration or other aspects of sort of smart home systems. And he hopes that further research will allow the ankle exoskeleton to help those who need it most. We've never seen a device that you can put on and take outside and move how you normally do, starting, stopping, and changing speeds, and actually see mobility benefits. And so that's really exciting because in the lab, these devices have been very promising and there's been decades of research. And now we're seeing that these can be translated to perhaps commercial products that you can buy and wear and uh, you know improve your mobility and be able to do things that you otherwise couldn't do. We're excited and starting to study you know how we can apply these same ideas and devices to older adults, for example, to help make walking easier and increase speed of walking, and how specific populations who have other challenges beyond just walking effort and walking speed, for example, knee pain, uh, we can try to improve other metrics using these same sorts of personalizations uh, approaches in the real world. That was Patrick Slade from Stanford University in the US. Look out for a link to the paper in the show notes and to a video featuring Patrick's new design, which is up on our YouTube channel. That's all for the show, but before I go, just a quick bit of info. Next week, Nature has a special issue focusing on racism in science, and we're doing the same here on the Nature Podcast, so we'll have something a little different for you. A special mini-series investigating racism in health. Look out for that wherever you get your podcasts. As always, don't forget you can keep in touch with us over on Twitter, we're at Nature Podcast, or you can send us an email to podcast at nature.com. I'm Benjamin Thompson. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 